Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor at Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. This is Sermon Sunday, so I'll be uploading the sermon from this week's worship service at Christ Church Conway. We're looking at the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Hope you enjoy. Well, we've been working through the parable of the sower for several weeks now. And we saw at the very beginning that the sower sows the word, that that's what the seed is. Then we've looked at these three types of soil. The the path where Satan comes and snatches the seed away, the rocky soil where things grow up and there's this quick zeal, but then a quick falling away when things get tough. And then last week we looked at the soil that's full of weeds, full of these thorns that grow up and choke out the word, these cares of the world that we are so constantly enticed by. And we've seen how all of these different things kind of show us the, the counterintuitive way that the kingdom of God works. And so this morning we come now to this fourth type of soil. A soil that reminds us of our need to hear the gospel. The soil that we look at this morning is the soil that is fruitful. And so here we're given, and we must keep this in mind, we're given a description of the word bearing fruit in our lives. And while we, we have here a description, it, and, and we can't take it as a, some kind of prescription for self-improvement, Remember, it's only God who can make bad soil good, as we've talked about. We do here have a description that we need to apply in certain ways and think about in our lives. A description that we need to hear because it tells us how it is that God can make bad soil good. And so if we look at our lives and we see fruitlessness in our lives, there is something for us to hear as we seek to understand the counterintuitive way that the kingdom grows. Because what we hear in this last point of this parable is that the path to fruitfulness as a Christian, the path to to fruitfulness in the Christian life is not us trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and try harder and get out there and be good, the path to fruitfulness is continually hearing the Word of God. So let's jump in then. And those will be the three points of the sermon, hearing, accepting, and bearing fruit. That's how we're going to deal with this sermon or this passage. So first, let's think about what it means to hear the Word of God already. This has been introduced multiple times in this parable. But even if we go back to verse 9, we read this funny statement to us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This reminds us that the Word of God is not something that is naturally Heard. Sure, you can hear it in, in a very physical sense that, that, that in, in how our body works, that, you know, I, I speak or read the word of God and it does something to your eardrums. The vibrations make, you know, the little anvil and stirrup vibrate and the neurons fire and, and you've, you've heard the word of God. The, 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 the voice that has come out of my mouth or whoever's mouth has registered 
on a physiological level. That would have been true for all of the people who heard this parable and were confused by it as well. The point of this idea, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, is that the word of God is not truly heard simply by natural hearing. It requires something else, rather someone else at work in us. If we are truly to hear the word of God and it bear the fruit that it is promised to bear. The other point we see from this is that those who can hear are commanded to hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a a command to us that, that if we hear the gospel and it registers, then what we are called to is to continue to hear the gospel. We're to continue to to submit ourselves to God's word, to avail ourselves of God's word that we might hear. The reason for this we see in Romans 10, 17, a passage that we've gone back to again and again throughout this little mini-series. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How is it that we will grow in our faith? How is it that we will become more and more fruitful? I'm jumping ahead here, but it's by hearing. Our faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how the kingdom comes. This is how the kingdom grows. This is how you and I are strengthened in our faith simply by hearing the word. That's one of the mysteries of the kingdom is that I can stand here week after week and and get on the podcast and and, and talk about the Bible and and preach and, and we can gather in small groups and open the Word together and we can sit by ourselves and read God's Word and that somehow through the active, through the active hearing of the Word of God, through that activity, somehow our faith grows. We are strengthened in our faith. By the power of the word. We see all of these beautiful pictures of this. In Isaiah, we have this announcement in chapter 29 and again in chapter 35. That in that day, the day of the Lord, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And then in Matthew 11 and other places where this account is given, these messengers from John the Baptist show up trying to figure out who Jesus is. Who are you? Are you, are you the Messiah? Are you who we've been waiting on or should we look for someone else? And Jesus' response is, go and tell John these things are happening. And in his list is that the deaf hear. We, we've got this very, you know, physical miracle that is this beautiful picture of what it is that the word of Christ does in us. It gives us ears to hear. It unstops our ears as Jesus did for the deaf man in Mark chapter 7, that we might hear the word of God. We see the same thing in Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. 
Our presence with Christ, His presence with us is predicated on us hearing Him. The entire gospel, the entire church, our very existence is predicated on us hearing God's Word. Again and again and again. Now, why do I emphasize this repeated hearing? Well, there's an interesting thing when we look at the Greek that is used in this parable. The hearing of the first three soils is, I'm going to be fun here, is an areas punctiliar. That means it was heard once. They heard the word and then they moved on. But when we come to the soil in the fourth category, the hearing is in the present tense indicating this iterative, iterative hearing or, or this repeated, this continual hearing of the Word of God. There's this purposeful contrast between the aspect of these two verb uses. The three soils that, that heard and fell away or heard and were snatched away or heard and were choked out by the cares of this world are presented as, yes, they heard it and they said, yeah, I've heard that before. And then they went on about their life. The good soil is presented as hearing repeatedly again and again and again, availing ourselves to the word of God. This is a bit of a shameless plug. I get that. You can take it that way if you want, but this is also an encouragement. This is the whole reason that I bother to do this podcast, which is now available on Spotify and Apple and Google and all your big platforms. The whole reason I do that, it's not because I want to grow some audience. I don't care about that. Unless that audience are y'all, those that God has put in my care. If a thousand people are listening, but y'all aren't, I'm done with it. Because my job is to give you the word of God. That's why we bother with things like this. Because every day we can come and hear and be encouraged and therefore be strengthened in our faith. That's why I want you to listen. Not so that I can say I have followers or hits or whatever but that you might be strengthened in your faith. We must continue to hear the word of God. As soon as we stop hearing God's word, we have put ourselves in grave danger. We hear the word of God and we live. As we sang earlier in this beautiful hymn that Sarah Jo has given to the church, you breathe, I live. You breathe and my heart comes to life. That is the mystery of the power of the word of God in us is that it's actually effective. It does something in us. And so how do we hear this word? Well, the, the primary means of hearing the word of God is through the church. God has given to the church 
teachers and and preachers, those that he has gifted to minister the gospel by the power of the Spirit. This isn't to say that we can't also read our Bibles and, and spend time in private discussions of God's Word. Certainly that strengthens us as well. But he has given us these means of grace, one of which is the proclamation of the Word of God, that we might be strengthened, that we might be equipped for the work of ministry in the church. This is why we must hear the word again and again and again. But then he says the soil also accepts the word. It's not just that the good soil hears the word repeatedly. It accepts the word. It believes it, what, it, what it says. The, the word for, for accept here is this idea of receiving it to some particular effect. Believing it. it. It taking root in us to build on the parable of the sower metaphor. We see this word used six different times in the New Testament, and sometimes it's used to to talk about relational acceptance. That that you accept someone into your life in a relational way, and, and they now have impact and influence in and on your life. The other way that we see it used is with the idea of legal acceptance. That, that someone's testimony can be accepted into court and therefore have impact, effect on the proceedings of the trial. In both situations, we see that there's this receiving something to some particular effect. That's what's in play here. That's the thought that, that is being dealt with here when it says that the good soil hears the word of God and accepts the Word of God. In a video that came across my desk this week from a guy named Michael Reeves, he's a seminary president at Union School of Theology. He was doing a little video about William Tyndale and his commitment to the Word of God, for which he ultimately gave his life that that people might have the Word of God. But he said this, he said, Tyndale's belief was that the word of God must be allowed to contradict and overrule all other claims. The word of God, if we are to accept it, what that means is that that it is allowed to contradict and overrule all other claims. Claims. Now, I want to be careful. We have, we have a lot of thinkers here. That doesn't mean that we do away with science or that we do away with math or that we do away with, with some other you know, academic truths that we can come up with. That's not the point here. The point is that, that where we come to some truth claim and it's different than what the Word of God says, the Word of God must be allowed to contradict and overrule all other claims. That's the point. That's what it means to accept the Word of God. Is that this book that we have, this gospel that it contains and and lays out so beautifully for us, even this law that it gives us, it is what we come to as true. 
James 1, 22 through 25 gives us another picture of what it is to accept the word of God. He writes in verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, it's possible to have this physiological experience where we hear the word and our ears work and something registers in our brain that words were spoken and they made sense. It's an entirely different thing to hear that to some effect in our lives. Matthew chapter 7 records Jesus' statement. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 27, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Repeatedly, Throughout Scripture, we are told to hear and believe God's Word, to hear and accept it, to hear and do God's Word. We're to hear to a particular effect in our life. So what does it mean to accept the Word or to be a doer of the Word? Well, there's five simple statements that we can make about this. And these really are just the very base level from which our lives grow in glory to God. First of all, it means to accept or to believe what the Bible says about God, who He is, how He is, what He has done, what He is doing. Second of all, it it means to accept and believe what the Bible says about us about our need for a Savior, about our inability to claw our way to God, about our absolute desperation for Jesus Christ, and that without Him we have nothing. Third, accepting or believing what it says about redemption, that there is a way back Home, that there is a way of redemption, and that that way of redemption is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died for the sins of his people, and rose in victory over sin and death, that we too might follow in the steps of our Savior, rising in victory over sin and death, living even now, not as sinners but as those who have been justified by Christ. Accepting God's word at its base level is accepting, believing what it says about redemption. Why do we struggle with that? We do mightily. But it's peculiar that we struggle with accepting such wonderful news of the gospel. Fourth, It means accepting or believing what it says about the Christian life. The Bible actually does give us instructions on how we are to live as Christians. Yes, we we are brought into the kingdom. We are made Christians. We are justified not by our works. Only by grace through faith in Christ. We we plant our flag there, but we don't plant it there to the exclusion of the fact that in Christ we are called to live a particular life for His glory. Accepting God's Word, and this is the real hard part for us. 
means accepting and believing what it says about the Christian life. That there are things we turn away from. That there are things we reject. And that there is one to whom we turn and find our hope in him. It's not legalism to recognize that there are imperatives that are part of the Christian life. We must hear God's word and what it says about what it looks like to live a life worthy of the followers of Christ. Fifth, we must accept what it says about the future. That we do, in fact, have a hope. That we do, in fact, have an inheritance. That Christ will, in fact, come again to judge the living and the dead. That there is, in fact, this eternal glory where we will dwell with Christ forever. Where all things will be made new. That the despair of this life doesn't actually speak the final word. But the glory of Christ does. And so on we go to bearing fruit. The first question we must ask is, what exactly is the fruit that the word bears in our life? I'm going to read several passages here, and that's going to require you to listen to reading, which I know that we struggle with, everybody does, but it's important for us to hear exactly what is being said in each of these passages. First, John 15, well, first, comma, John 15, verses 1 through 16. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this is my, but by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now we go over to Romans 7. Verses 4 and 5 say this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ 
so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Further over to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. I'll not read all of this, but he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then he gives the works of the flesh. And contrast them, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Finally, we look at the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He goes on to write a little further down. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's three points that we see about the realities of fruitfulness in these passages. First, fruitfulness is exclusively and inextricably tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's exclusively and inextricably tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be fruitful for God to be fruitful in the way that He calls us to apart from faith in Christ. It can't happen any other way. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. There is no Christian fruitfulness apart from Jesus, but we can't have Jesus without also having fruitfulness. Anyone who does not bear fruit, it says, he cuts off. Fruitfulness is exclusively and inseparably tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, fruitfulness is the necessary outcome of believing in Jesus, abiding, being doers and hearers, hearing and accepting however we want to put it. We will bear fruit if we continue to hear and accept the word of God. As we saw in the parable of of the vine and the branches or the story of the vine and the branches, it may be a little at first. Thus the 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold. But the faithfulness of Christ is to come to us when we bear that meager 
fruit of the gospel in our lives and he prunes us. That is, he sanctifies us by his spirit that we may bear more fruit. When we think in these terms, I think it's right for us to see the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold. Not as like, oh, God has made this person really gifted and he really made him something This person over here, he made her a little more gifted. This person is a giant of the faith. No, I think what we see there is increasingly mature Christians. That God has pruned a little more than the last. We begin as infants in the faith and we bear little bits of fruit in Christ by His Spirit in His grace and in His mercy with all the tenderness of a good shepherd comes in and prunes us and we bear more. And He prunes us and we bear more. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. The pruning is sanctification. It's the putting to death of the deeds of the body by the Spirit at work in us. Third, fruitfulness is not defined as any one specific thing, but has to do with our entire manner of life. So it can't be narrowed down to particular activities, as so often it is. Fruitfulness can't be narrowed down to just making disciples or evangelism or or, or making converts. Yes, there are people who are gifted evangelists and, and that will be part of the fruit of their life, but we can't take fruitfulness and narrow it down to that as so often happens in the evangelical church. Likewise, it can't be narrowed down by ourselves to the particular things that we are naturally good at or comfortable with. The fruitfulness that's being talked about here is not just our natural way of life. It's the Word of God working something new and marvelous in us. And so we can't simply narrow it down to the things that we just, in God's providence, happen to be good at or comfortable with. Those things, so far as they line up with the Word of God, will be part of our fruitfulness. But they will not be the sum total. That's again one of the mysteries of the Gospel, is that it does in us unexpected things. And so it also can't be narrowed down to the particular thing that we are passionate about. We see this so often where the definition of fruitfulness becomes that thing that we just would die for. Maybe it's some particular political issue. Maybe it's some particular pietism issue. Maybe it's some particular Christian activity. We can't boil it down to just the thing we are passionate about. Again, so far as that lines up with the biblical presentation of a Christian life, that may be part of our fruitfulness, but we can't sum it up in that and so put that weight on everybody else. God has gifted us differently by His Spirit. And so while we will all be fruitful, it will not all necessarily look the same. 
fruitfulness in the lives of the elders will look different than fruitfulness in the lives of the deacons. Fruitfulness in the lives of people with the gifts of administration will look different than fruitfulness in the lives with people of gifts of service or giving or whatever it may be. And we need that varied fruit. We need that for the body to be healthy. And so we must understand from these passages that fruitfulness is always tied to the gospel. It's necessarily the outcome of the gospel in our lives. And it has to do with our entire manner of life. How we live, how we think, our our ethics, our interests. And so when we put all of these things together, we can now work backwards and, and see the role and the importance of hearing. Because we see that that faithfulness comes from faith in Christ. That is from accepting His Word. That's where our fruitfulness comes from. Believing God's Word and being sanctified by the Spirit more and more in line with God's Word. Shaped by Christ's Spirit increasingly having the image of God restored in us. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit in glorious abundance Fruitfulness comes from faith in Christ, from accepting His Word. Accepting His Word, believing His Word, faith, comes, as we saw in Romans, from hearing. This is why we must repeatedly hear the Word of God. Because that is how we grow in faith. And as we grow in faith, We grow in fruitfulness. And so what is this word that we need to hear? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the whole counsel of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why our church looks the way it does. This is why our sermons week after week come back to the gospel. It's not that that's everything. But it is both the starting point and the sustaining force in the Christian life. And we must hear it repeatedly. And so we announce it repeatedly that we can hear it and accept it and bear fruit. See, the counterintuitive reality of the kingdom of God is that fruitfulness doesn't come by us somehow tending our own garden or strengthening ourselves or trying harder and harder. It comes by repeatedly hearing God's Word. So avail yourselves to that glorious, glorious mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear it, accept it, and bear fruit. Most gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is by Your Word that we hear. And it is by hearing that we accept or believe. And it is by growing in our faith that fruitfulness comes. We recognize, Father, that this is entirely your work in us and not something we do in ourselves. So strengthen us for your glory, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.